Hi, this is Wilson from Renew Church OC. Thanks for joining our podcast. After the pandemic, it's been easy to do Chipotle Church, where we get to choose how much church we want every week. Maybe I'll stay home this Sunday. I feel like opening my Bible today, but not tomorrow. I'll go to small group and not Sundays. Our City Monk series challenges this construct of church and pushes us to reorder our life around Jesus and the Sabbath. It's a call to live in contrast to a city that is busy and burnt out. Instead, we live unhurried lives, wrapping our daily and weekly schedule around being with Jesus. I hope you get a chance to check out our church on Sunday in Fullerton, California at 10 a.m. I hope you enjoy the series. Oh, it's always awkward when, you, when somebody claps for you, but thank you for clapping. Oh, it's so wonderful. Yeah, welcome and good morning, Renew Church. Uh, we're continuing our series on City Monk. Uh, we're moving from uh, the monk to the monastery, okay? The idea of we've been focusing on the individual, and now we're going to focus on community. Uh, and so what we want to do in light of that is uh, we're going to do a fun I believe meaningful exercise. We're going to get into our groups like we normally do. Uh, but what I'd like you to do is take out your phones right now. Some of you already have your phones in your hand anyway. But take out your phones and go to your photo album, okay? All the pictures you have, right? If you could go to your photo album. And I want you to locate a group picture, right? A group selfie. Uh, any of a number of your friends that uh, you have in your group uh, selfie or picture. And I want you to share a story about one of the friends in that group uh, when you are in your smaller groups, okay? Uh, Why you're thankful for that friend in your life. Uh, And it has to be a story. You can't just share like a simple phrase, right? But you have to share a story so that everyone can understand, you know, about that friend, okay? And it can't be your spouse. Those of you that are married, if that's your only friend, you're you're out of luck, okay? It can't be your spouse because they have to be your friend, okay? They have no choice. But you guys have to find a group picture and do that. Can, can we all do that? It's going to be a fun exercise, you guys. It really will. Let's break up into our groups. And if we could uh, locate that and share, that would be great. And I'll give you like five minutes. All right. If I could have your attention up here, please. If I can have your attention just right up here. It's fun, isn't it? It's so fun to share about your life, about your friends. And I hope you had a great time uh, sharing about those meaningful uh, friendships in your life. You know, I've made a commitment uh, to take more pictures. And uh, if you know anything about me, it's really hard for me because I feel like it's such a hassle. Like my wife, she takes out her uh, phone instantly and wants to take pictures. Me, uh, just getting everybody together and posing, there's something about that that I just don't like to do. But the more I grow older, the more I look at those pictures, I realize uh, how important it is. And how important, you know, taking pictures, recording events, remembering fondly uh, those amazing memories uh, have to be. Uh, Tomorrow, uh, I'm double dating with Steve and Patty. Uh, Joanne and I, we're going to go see Journey in concert. Yay! Yes! Some of you, you don't know who Journey is. Uh, Toto is opening for them. Yay! (laughs) Such young people. Such young people. No, I love 80s. My my wife loves BTS. I'm I'm an 80s rock band kind of guy. So I'm going to take as many pictures 
as I possibly can. I'm just so excited to be a part of that. Uh, but let me show you uh, a picture uh, that means a lot to me. If we could show this. Uh, in the center of this picture uh, is a guy by the name of Jonathan Toy. Uh, it's him by the birthday cake. Uh, when I first came out to L.A., uh, I attended Talbot Biola, and uh, he was the financial aid director, and I needed financial aid. And I remember meeting him, talking with him, and it was almost instantly we struck up such a great friendship. Uh, uh, turns out, little did I know that we would be going to the same uh, church that was starting, and we kind of started the church together uh, along with others, and uh, it was just so great having Jonathan in my life. I've shared with you before that I went through a crisis of faith in my life, and I went through some depression, and I remember Jonathan, being a new friend of mine, was there for me, and he was just like Jonathan in the Bible, David and Jonathan. He was there for me, uh, to help me. Uh, he gave me books during my depression. That's the last thing you want, right, when you're going through depression is a bunch of books, but, and he wasn't trying to be, you know, a theologian. He wasn't trying to be some apologist. He just really wanted to help me in any way he could, right? Took me out to lunch, uh, let me just share all kinds of things with him. Just let me kind of throw up on all these ideas onto him. And he was such a tremendous friend. And I, I say a lot of my healing, right, I would say is uh, because of Jonathan and people like Jonathan in my life. Uh, next to him is a guy named Oliver Lynn. Uh, when he and his wife um, left to uh, do Ph.D. psychology work at Stanford, uh, Oliver actually gave me his Toyota Paseo. And back then, Joanne and I, remember, we only had one car, and we couldn't afford another car and everything. And uh, Oliver just said, hey, I want to give this to you. And so for years, I drove this green Toyota Paseo around, and it actually chokes me up when I think, when I think about just the kindness of Oliver and his wife Marina to care about us and even as they were leaving to make sure that we were okay. When I look at those pictures, I get emotional because I understand how important it is to have good friends. You know, when I look at those pictures, I clearly remember all of the blessings and I'm filled with thankfulness and gratefulness. And I'm sure it's the same for you as you look at those pictures and as you were sharing with one another. Well, this morning we want to look at Colossians chapter 4. If you're looking at your devices, you can turn there, Colossians chapter 4. And I want you to notice that this is the end of Paul's letter to the Colossians. And here he mentions a group of people who make up a particular community that he was in. That he was in. So Paul concludes the letter in Colossians 4 by giving us word pictures, like a word group picture for us to look at. So this morning, my message is very, very simple, okay? Today's message is actually kind of unusual because all I'm going to do is mention uh, obscure names that you've never heard of, but these names preach a profound truth about community. So let's look at this picture in Colossians chapter 4. We'll begin reading in verse 6. Here's the word of God. It says, let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. He is a dear brother, a faithful minister, and fellow servant in the Lord. I'm sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. 
He is coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother who is one of you. They will tell you everything that is happening here. My fellow prisoner Aristarchus sends you his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You have received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. Drop down to verse 12. Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Jesus Christ, sends his greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you that you may stand firm in all of the will of God. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. So Paul is in his first Roman imprisonment. It's 60 AD. And here he names a group of first century Christians, right? Uh, hard maybe names for us to, to, to read and to understand. But he names this group of Christians uh, that we may very easily pass by without a second thought. But here it is. The Bible includes these names. And I believe it is very important that we study these friends who help Paul because they give us a concrete example of community. The great revivalist D.L. Moody said this, Just like one coal taken out of a group of coals in a fire will make that one single solitary coal cold and useless, so will taking one Christian away from a community of believers, it will make that person apathetic and unsuccessful. And that's so true. D.L. Moody says success in the Christian life depends on spiritual support. You know, sometimes when we look at the life of the Apostle Paul, we kind of see him as a superhero, super Christian. Like Superman flying from his fortress of solitude to do some heroic, world-changing deed and then fly back to his fortress of solitude. But the fact is, the Apostle Paul was human, just like us. He was always had companions who were around him. He was never alone. And when you think about it, we are not Superman. We are not Superwoman. These are just cartoon ideas because we can't live like super, uh, super, super Christians. We were created for community. We need spiritual support. You know, during the time of COVID, uh, when it was just, you know, getting uh, better, where people were meeting, I remember I was talking to a person who told me, I don't need to come to church and I don't need to come regularly because really Christianity is all about me and God. As long as I have my devotions, as long as I pray, as long as I'm spending time with the Lord, that's all I need. And I had to tell this person, that's not a biblical idea. As a matter of fact, if we could put up the next slide, spirituality is personal. It's a personal relationship with God, right? We can't leech off someone else's spiritual life and faith. No one can live your Christian life for you. It is between you and God. We've been talking about it for the past three weeks, this idea of monk. Christianity is personal, but at the same time, Christianity is also personnel. Amen? It is personnel. It involves people that will help you grow. It depends on, it, it involves people who will be beside you and around you. And sometimes for you to stand on their shoulders. Sometimes for them to carry you. You see, spirituality is personal, but it is also personnel. And let's look at the personnel that we see in scripture. Number one, if you're taking notes, write this down. Tychicus, the faithful servant. Tychicus, the faithful servant. Let's look in verse 7. It says, Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. He is a dear brother, a faithful minister, and fellow servant in the Lord. Now, 
we understand from reading Paul's letters that Paul is not the flattering type, right? He does not mince words. So when he tells you that he is a dear brother, a faithful minister, and a fellow servant in the Lord, he means it. This guy had been with Paul for four years. And this guy was a guy that we don't know anything about his talents or abilities. The only thing that we know is that he served. He was a servant. A couple weeks ago, we talked about how important being a servant is in the Christian life. You know, I had a youth pastor. I don't remember any of his sermons, not even a single one. But one thing he used to say that is in, in my head, it's ingrained in there, is he used to say, Christians need to be fat, okay? Not obese, okay? But he was talking about fat. F stands for faithful. A stands for available. T stands for teachable, right? It was an acrostic. The idea that we need to be faithful, ready to do whatever Jesus needs us to do. Available, ready to be whatever Jesus needs us to be. Teachable, ready to learn whatever Jesus is teaching us. We need to be fat. And the one thing that we see about Tychicus and his servant's heart was that he was fat, right? He was faithful. He was available. He was teachable. The word we see here is the word fellow servant. That actually is the word bond slave, literally. It means a willing slave. And here lies the motivation that we need to understand. Tychicus served the Apostle Paul. He was ready to do whatever the Apostle Paul needed him to do in ministry. He was available. He was ready to be whatever the Apostle Paul needed him to be in ministry. He was teachable. He was ready to learn from the Apostle Paul and have a humble spirit. But when we look at his motivation, he wasn't doing this for the Apostle Paul. He wasn't doing this for men. But he was doing it as a willing servant of God. Amen? That's the motivation that we see. As Christians, we need to be bond slaves, willing to bond together to serve faithfully in the work that God has called us to at this church. Now, I want you to notice in verse 8, we see that Paul sends him as a messenger. Let's look in verse 8. It says, I am sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. Paul sends Tychicus as a, as a messenger. And I want you to notice the journey that he had to take. The journey that he was sent rem uh, reminds us uh, that someone who is sent this way had to be faithful. He had to be faithful. He was going from Rome to Colossae. That's not an easy trip. Like today we hop on a plane and we get there, right? This was a long, perilous, difficult trip. He had to cross Italy and Greece on foot. He had to travel by sea to cross both the Adriatic and the Aegean. It required a great deal to get there. And we see that he was also very available because of the mission that he had, right? Uh, notice the mission required someone who was very available. The Bible says that he was trusted to be an encourager. He was entrusted to strengthen their hearts. Now, how, are they, how is he to encourage them and strengthen their hearts? Well, I want you to notice the delivery, what he's bringing. Do you know he's taking the letter of Colossians, one of my favorite, most encouraging past, uh, books of the Bible, right? He was taking Colossians, 
But did you also know he was taking the book of Philemon as well? Philemon was a very influential, very wealthy Christian who lived uh, in Colossae. He was a part of the church of Colossae. And he, Paul was writing a letter to him so the, the whole church could see that as well. But not only was he taking Colossians and Philemon, did you know he was also taking the book of Ephesians? Probably my favorite book in all the New Testament. He was taking the book of Ephesians too. Now, how do I know that? Well, in Ephesians chapter 6, 21 and 22, listen to this. See if this doesn't sound familiar. Tychicus, the dear brother and faithful servant in the Lord, will tell you everything so that you also may know how I am and what I am doing. Verse 22, I am sending him to you for this very purpose that you may know how we are and that he may encourage you. Those are the exact same words that we look in our text in Ephesians chapter 4. You see, Tychicus was taking the letter to the Ephesians as well. When you think about it, Tychicus was one of the most important men of the Bible. Because if it wasn't for his fatness, being faithful, available, and teachable, we would be missing books of the Bible. Think about that. We'd be missing Colossians, Philemon, and Ephesians. He was very important. Now, of course, I believe in the sovereignty of God. If you were to push me, I'm a Calvinist. I believe that. So God would have, of course, in his sovereign will, gotten those letters out. But God always uses people. Amen? And God was using the person of Tychicus. You see, he was faithful. He was faithful. Now, later, because of his faithfulness, we see that he sent to pastor for Titus. How do we know this? Well, in the book of Titus, chapter 3 and verse 12, Paul winters in Nicopolis, and he wants to see Titus, one of his young men in the faith who he's discipled, who is now the pastor of the church of Crete. And this is what he says in verse 12, you come and spend the winter with me, Titus, and I will send Tychicus, my faithful servant, to interim pastor for your church in Crete. Okay? And not only that, but after, after this, he sends Tychicus as a pastor for Timothy as well. In 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 12, Paul is under his second Roman imprisonment. He knows that he'll be executed very soon. And so he desires to see his uh, young disciple, who is now the pastor of the church of Ephesus. His name is Timothy. And in verse 12, he says, I will send my faithful servant Tychicus to you to interim pastor for your church, Timothy, if you come to see me. What am I saying? That because of Tychicus' servant heart, he's faithful, he's available, he's teachable. He was sent to interim pastor for two important churches. He was entrusted with the inspired books of the word of God. You see, God uses Tychicus in big ways because of his servant's heart. Now let me ask you this question. What if everyone here in this church was a Tychicus? What if all of us were faithful, available, and teachable? You know, this reminds me how important it is to God that we be faithful in the commonplace, everyday, mundane, normal, day in and day out service for the Lord. Let me give you another one. Number two, Onesimus, the fugitive who became a family member. Okay, let's look in verse 9. He says, he is coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother who is one of you. They will tell you everything that is happening here. Let's stop right there. So 
So Tychicus had a letter to give to this wealthy Christian Philemon. And we have it in our Bible as the book of Philemon, right? And let me share with you so that you understand what's going on, okay? Because verse 9 doesn't give us the gravity of what's happening. Onesimus was a slave of Philemon, and he ran away from his master, okay? Now, by God's providence, he meets Paul in Rome, and he's gloriously saved. So he becomes a Christian. Now, Onesimus agrees now to go back to Philemon in Colossae. And the book of Philemon is all about how Paul tells Philemon to welcome him not as a slave, but as a brother. To treat him not as a slave, but a family member. So the question I have for you this morning is, did Philemon do that? Did he treat Onesimus as a family member and as a brother? Well, we have an historical account from Ignatius the pastor of the church of Smyrna. This is a historical account. This happened a generation uh, after the Bible was written, okay? We consider Ignatius one of the church fathers, one of the most influential, uh, most important men of Christian church history. And he writes a letter to the Colossian church. This is a generation later. And this is what he says. I love this. One of my favorite uh, uh, things that he says. Ignatius says this. Since then, I have received your entire congregation in the person of Onesimus, a man of inexpressible love and your dear pastor, okay? I beseech you in the name of Jesus that you love him and all who follow his example. What does that mean? That according to Ignatius, Onesimus becomes the pastor of the church of Colossae. Now, what does that mean? That because of Philemon and the Colossian church's love, support, care and encouragement of this new believer Onesimus, he turns out to be the pastor of the Colossian church, and as Ignatius writes, he's an example of the love, care, support, and encouragement of the believers. Can I get an amen? Isn't that amazing? And that's what discipleship within a community does. It raises up deep disciples who will impact this culture. It raises and develops deep disciples who will influence the world around it. So let me ask you this question. Who is your fugitive in your life? Right now, who is that person who's lost or confused? Who's that person in great need? Now, is God calling you to be a disciple and a discipler? Is God calling you to treat these people, Onesimus's, as a family member, and God will use it to do great things. Let me give you another one. Aristarchus, the fellow prisoner. Aristarchus, the fellow prisoner. Let's look in verse 10. It says, my fellow prisoner, Aristarchus, sends you his greetings. Now, I want you to notice that Paul calls Aristarchus my fellow prisoner. This is really important, the word my. Because what did Aristarchus do to be in prison? He didn't do anything. Aristarchus was there for Paul. You see, Paul was the one who had appealed to Caesar. Paul was the one who was put in prison. So my fellow prisoner is a nickname that Paul gave Aristarchus because he voluntarily stayed with him while he was under arrest. Now, in ancient times, it was very dangerous to associate with prisoners because if you hung out with prisoners in a prison long enough, They'll lump you in as a prisoner, right? So in that culture, 
there's no such thing as due process like we would know it. And so you would want to disassociate yourself from a prisoner. You don't want to have any dealings. You'd want to want to run away as fast as you could, as far away as you could, from somebody who was a prisoner. But not Aristarchus. He was right there to help Paul, to sympathize with him, even in the prison. You see, the first century Greek symbol for friendship was a man with a scale. And the scale on one side had the Greek word for summer, and the other side would have a Greek word for winter, and it was perfectly balanced. Okay? That's the definition of a friend. That I'm the same friend in the summer when things are good as I am in the winter when things are going bad in life. Because it's easy to be a friend in the sunshine, isn't it? It's easy to be a friend in the summer when things are going well. But are we or can we be a friend in the darkest and coldest times of a person's life when somebody is truly in need? You know what God calls us to? He calls us to encourage, to pick people up. He calls us to sympathize, to give up our freedoms so that we can help our brothers and our sisters. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, just listen as I give this. In verse 9 says, two are better than one. If one falls down, his friend can help him up. But pity the man who falls and has no one to help him up. Also, if two lie together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands are not easily broken. You see, we need Aristarchuses who will help us up, who will keep us warm, who will, who will defend us and make us unbreakable. Hey, are you that Aristarchus that, that, that we need? Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 and 2, it tells us that one of the great one another's that we need to practice in our church is to carry one another's burdens. And that's exactly what Aristarchus did. Okay, let's look at another one. Mark, the failure who finished well. In verse 10, we see that Mark sends his greetings. Now, this is really important. I, I, I need you to understand this because in verse 10, it says, you've received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. What is that all about? Well, let me explain. In Acts chapter 13 and verse 5 is where we first see Mark mentioned. Okay? When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogues, and Mark was with them as their helper. Now, another word, his name is John Mark in full, okay? Mark started as an assistant to Paul in missions, okay? He came from a very strong uh, Christian family. Uh, actually, the church was meeting, uh, the church in that city was meeting at his parents' home. And so Mark started out as an assistant to Paul in missions, now, in verse 13 of Acts uh, 13, that first missionary trip, it says, From Paphos, Paul and his companions sailed to Perga in Pamphylia, where John Mark left them and returned back to Jerusalem. So, in the middle of this missions trip, Mark bails. He deserts. Okay? Uh, he leaves his fellow missionaries behind. And it was at the most dangerous part of the trip. If you look in verse 14, this was the place... Uh, where they had to cross a very dangerous stretch of mountains. It's very treacherous, uh, full of bandits, very dangerous. So it was a time when everybody had to band together to get through this. And that's when John Mark says, see ya, wouldn't want to be ya, right? And he leaves, okay? So when things got tough, John Mark failed his team, he failed his calling, and he failed the gospel missions. So 
In Acts chapter 15, verses 37, this is the second missionary trip that Paul's taking. And this is what it says. Barnabas wanted to take John Mark with them, but Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. Now, think about this. In the mind of the Apostle Paul, if somebody in your greatest need, okay, left you, flaked on you, right, failed you, how would you respond? Exactly. And this is how Paul is. And the Bible says they had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus. Paul took Silas and went the other way, okay? But here's the beautiful part of this, and this is what I want you to understand. Even when people fail us, right, praise God for Barnabas and second chances. He doesn't give up on people when they fail. That is the history. If we look at the, the history of, of Barnabas, he is a person that gives second chances, right? He did that with the Apostle Paul when he first was converted and none of the church wanted to have anything to do with him. He was the one who brought him in, right? And I'm thankful that God uses failures. You see, we can fail, we can fall in big ways, but the attitude in the Christian community, our community, is that we need to redeem people. We need to help people. Because of the continuing love, care, and discipleship of Barnabas, Mark is redeemed. He's restored. He becomes a mature ministry man in his effectiveness. And Paul sees the change. That's why he says in verse 10, you have received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. Paul is saying, you know what? I was, maybe not I was wrong. Who knows if he said that? But he's saying, wow, Mark's changed. You know, we see a man who's really matured. And he tells the Colossian Christians, welcome him back. You know, he's in good standing with us. He's somebody who's very important. Can I share this with you? 11 years later, this is the same Mark who writes the gospel of Mark. The first gospel that we have in the world. You see, Mark was used in a trans formative way, right, because of the love and perseverance of others who decided to continue with him. Can I get an amen? At the end of Paul's life, as he's awaiting execution, you know what Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy 4.11? Hey, get Mark and bring him with you because he's helpful to me in the gospel ministry. You see, failure doesn't have to define us. We can get back up and we can finish well. We need the help of friends to be able to do that. Okay, last one. Let's look at it. Epaphras, the fervent prayer warrior. So in the beginning of this letter, okay, Colossians chapter 1, 7 and 8. I don't have it up here. You can look at it or just listen. Uh, here's how the letter to the Colossians starts, okay. Paul says, you learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who's a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. Now, who was Epaphras? Bible scholars tell us that he was probably the one who started the church of Colossae. He's the one who shared the gospel in the city. He saw this grow into a church through the gospel. Now he is the pastor of the church, and he travels from Asia Minor to Rome out of concern that the Colossian Christians are getting into heresy, that they've been tempted into false teaching. And Epaphras is so concerned that they're falling away that he goes to see Paul. And Paul writes at the end of the book of Colossians, after he says amazing things, defending the Christian faith, 
pleading with them to get out of heresy. He says in Colossians 4, 12 and 13, Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you that you may stand firm. I vouch for him that he is working hard for you. I want you to notice what Paul is saying. He's saying, Epaphras, this guy's always wrestling in prayer for you. He's always praying for your maturity. He is working hard for you. He is that man who wants to see your success. The words I want you to catch are wrestling and working hard. It's the idea of agonizing and grinding in intercessory prayer for them. See, that's important. We need people who will agonize for us. You know, uh, there is a a commercial. uh, It's in the afternoons, okay? I've seen it many times. Some of you have never seen it. And I've seen it ever since I came out to California. There's this commercial where this uh, accident attorney comes out and he says, I'm Larry H. Parker and I will fight for you. You guys know that one, right? Now, he doesn't look like some trustworthy guy. He, he really doesn't, okay? Maybe he is. Maybe he is, but he doesn't look it, right? He looks like one of those accident attorneys. But there's something popular about him. He is the number one accident attorney. As a matter of fact, in the generations now, he's actually got all of his kids coming out. They all come out and they go, oh, where are the Parkers and we'll fight for you. You know why he's so popular? Because that phrase hits everyone in their time of need, in their time of desperation, you want somebody who will fight for you. You want somebody who's going to care enough to get, to get their hands dirty and will uh, fight on your behalf. And that's Epaphras. He's Larry H. Parker. He's wrestling and he's fighting in prayer so that God would give you his blessing and best as a church. Are you praying like that for each other? I've shared with you about my mother. I won't go into detail, but she is the greatest spiritual influence of my life. And I just remember during a time of rebellion as a teenager, my mom would burst into my room and she would put her hands on me and she would say, let's sing together. She would say, are you weary? Are you heavy hard? I'd go, get out of here, mom. I don't want to hear this. And she'd put her head on, you know, her hand on my head even stronger. She goes, tell it to Jesus. Tell it to Jesus. I mean, I'm, I'm making her seem crazy, but she was crazy, okay? So she would, she would pray those kind of prayers. And she'd say, Jesus, he's so rebellious. He's such a bad boy. But Jesus, I know that you can transform him. And she would pray for me. And I'm here in ministry because of the prayer of my mom. Because she's Larry H. Parker. She fought for me. She agonized and wrestled for me in prayer. If there's one thing that we need to do for one another, is we need to truly intercede for those details that we're going through in our lives. Can we do that, right? It's one thing to say, I love you, I love, and I pray for your your success spiritually, best wishes to you. It's another thing to wrestle with the Lord in intense prayer for specific people and issues so that we might see success in their lives. You see, Paul says we have concrete, personal examples of community. We have a group picture. We have the faithful servant. We have the fugitive family member. We have the fellow prisoner. We have the failure who finished well. And we have the fervent prayer warrior. In light of all these examples, will you complete the work of ministry? Will you be those people that add to the community of faith that will grow this monastery to be a beacon and a light to the world. Can I get an amen? 
Amen. Can we look at the last slide? I want us to look at the nine one another's that God calls us to. I want to ask this question. Can you live this out in your personal lives? Can all of us commit to being this to each other? You know, I dare say if we live this out, if this was our life's call and example, we would see tremendous things that God would do at Renew Church. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it cuts as well as heals. We thank you, Lord, that wherever place we're in, that you would help us to live out this community of faith. We thank you for everything that you're doing. We pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said. Amen. Amen. Hi, this is Pastor Wilson again. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If our sermons have been a blessing to you, I'd love for you to consider supporting our church and ministry. As we approach the end of the year, we're asking our church family to consider investing into a special fund that support our interns and seminarians. Renew has a vision of investing in pastors for the next generation through our internship program. And your financial partnership can help set up a young pastor or missionary to faithfully serve the Lord for the next 30 to 40 years. I often dream about what Irwin or Kevin will do for the kingdom of God through their 30s, 40s, and 60s. Our goal is to raise $50,000 over the season. Would you consider joining us? You can give through PayPal or Venmo or by sending a check. All the information is on the description section of the podcast. Or you can visit our website. And your investment is tax deductible. Thank you so much for being a part of our church family. If you're ever in the Fullerton, California area, please drop by into our Sunday service. I'd love to meet you. God bless.